Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of White Noise. Unlike previous episodes, this one will be a flash to the past of Mel. Feel as she did, and let the story flow through your mind as her voice does, into the white noise. This is a Badminton Studios production. The story I am about to tell you, I wish was not my own. This is the only artifact I have, and it isn't happy. I don't remember who I was, only that I was terribly unhappy and wanted nothing more than to be somewhere else. In that instant, I decided I would make my wish come true. And in doing so, I was reborn into what I would like to call my life. I spent most of it in the beginning wandering and looking for my purpose, a light that haunted my walking daydreams though it seemed to be always beyond my reach, so instead of forcing myself upon it, I waited. During my waiting, I spent a lot of time watching the lives of the many families who lived in the apartment I was born in. I was fascinated by them, and this fascination grew into a deep longing to speak with them. Though an answer never came, at least not until February 13th, 1979. That was the year a couple had brought home their son, Victor. Say, Mama. Mama. Timmy, come here. He spoke. From day one, as average as Victor appeared, I knew he was different than most children. He was very attentive for an infant and learned quickly. Though the one thing I noted was he often looked at me and children would rarely look at me. As time passed, he saw me so often. His family thought I was his imaginary friend. So does this friend of yours have a name? I don't know. Well, what would you call her? I don't know. Hmm. How about Jillian? Oh, no. What do you think her name starts with? M. How about Minerva? Minerva? (laughs) No. Minerva. She was the Roman goddess of wisdom, you know. She does seem wise. Is it settled, then? Can I call her Minnie? (laughs) Of course. This is how I got my first name. It was very soon after I and the boy began to have many conversations. Most playful, but others were quite therapeutic and educational. So... What are those things on your arms? I don't know, but they are very special. I know that, but what do they do? Well, whenever I want to do something, they help me do it. I suppose I'd be paralyzed without them. That must be awful. Early on, he was always asking questions, and I was apt to answer them because it meant I was interacting, which was what I had longed to do for so long. More importantly, I had a friend. Though when it came time for Victor to go to school, our talks were not the blessing they should have been. His peers, like most people, were blind to the paranormal and lacked the proper means to understand his behavior. He must hear voices in his head. I'm surprised he still even has an imaginary friend. Don't listen to them, Victor. They don't understand. I know, but why can't they see you too? That just means you're special. You should be proud of that. Though I tried my best to comfort him, there was no escape from the torment. His life at home was not getting any better. For years, Timothy Green had suffered from bipolar depression. 
it was managed with therapy and medication for a while. Yet fate threw another wrench in the Green family's life when Timothy developed schizophrenia. Among other things, it caused his parents to fight. They were no longer the happy couple I spent watching all these years. I saw him do it. He stabbed himself. How? He was at school. I have to throw away the dinnerware. He could hurt himself. But how will we eat? I won't be able to live with myself if he dies. Tim, stop this nonsense. You need help. Victor began to withdraw himself from everyone and took more time to speak with me. This helped calm him, but not completely. Though he never said it, I felt he feared that I may be his delusion. His only other solace was church. He spent most of his time there and was actually encouraged to speak to me, though honestly, I think this was because the priest thought Victor was in communication with a saint or something. Regardless, for a time, the church gave him the stability he needed. Around his 13th birthday, his father was institutionalized for assaulting a co-worker during one of his episodes of paranoia. After losing the physical presence of his father, Victor became depressed, which made him a target for the weeks of bullying that followed. It got so bad, his mother decided to move in with her sister in Chicago, which helped some. Not only was he welcome to the church, the other students seemed to pay attention to him or leave him alone peacefully. Though one day, a group of older teenagers thought about pushing his buttons. Unlike last time, I was not going to stand quietly. Hey, Spaz, who are you talking to? What does it matter to you? Are you a bit old for imaginary friends? How about you mind your own business? What business? I don't see any business here. Do you? No business here. So you won't mind if I stand this close to you in that case, right? Can you back off a bit? Your breath really stinks. What did you say, punk? You heard me. Why, you? Hey, can you put me down? This shirt is new. I don't care. I don't know who to feel sorry for, the shirt or the freak attached to it. Doesn't matter to me, because both of them will be kissing the pavement soon. Help. Leave him alone. They can't hear you. Who's they? But maybe they can feel me. I used my runes to manipulate the smell rune, which was unfortunately not glamorous, but it was my talent rune. What resulted from my efforts was an ectoplasm dripping onto the bully's hand. Ugh, what did you do? Nothing. That was Minnie. What kind of a freak are you? The boys promptly put him down and went back into the school, though they did so very leerily. Though weeks passed by, they yet again attempted to bully Victor, though this time someone else was looking out for him. John Kipp. Kipp knew Victor from church and was one of the newer pastors. Both I and Victor never knew the truth of Kipp's past, but we enjoyed the idea that he was an ex-con, gone good. He had enough tattoos to fit the role. Though on that night, Kip not only became the man who saved his hide and bought Victor dinner, but a father figure. I think this would forever change him. I was once like you, kid. I got bullied and treated like dirt for only being myself. What are you now? What I hope you become in the next five years. But Father Joseph said you're a bad influence. 
I won't deny that. But what use is life if you won't have a little fun? I can agree to that. Good. We have an understanding. Victor and John were inseparable. John taught him a lot and offered Victor the outlet he needed. Victor's morale improved, though he was impressionable, and without realizing it, it picked up John's bad habits, one being his greed. Yet at this time, Victor's greed was only minimal. Though a more important milestone came to Victor during the summer of his junior year. We were both going through an internal crisis. I began to have questions about who I was, and Victor wanted to find the man he wanted to be. So me and Victor decided we would take that summer to discover ourselves. Though in the first month of summer, we got nowhere. Yet one detail I fixated myself on was my death, and I wanted to know what was so terrible that I would want to give up the decadency of life. Victor suggested we should work together to answer that question. He figured if one of us got our answers, at least the summer wouldn't be wasted. I agreed, and we started our first investigation. We looked into the records and got nowhere locally. It is then we remembered that the old apartment was outside of town. So we drove to the neighboring city of Aurora, where we used to live. Soon after, we found out who I was. My name was Melanie Cruz. I was born and raised in Aurora. I graduated high school with honors, and I was very much a product of my time. However, we were unable to find much more than that information. We figured that someone in an elderly home might have an account we needed. So Victor and I looked at a few yearbooks and cross-referenced them with other records. Lucky for us, we found one individual who fit the bill. Her name was Georgia May Rice. An even greater stroke of luck, she was still alive, but suffering from terminal lung cancer. So without haste, we traveled to her rest home to meet her. I still remember feeling quite sad for her. She was very weak. Though I was joyful to note, her mind was sharp. Melanie? Oh, it's been years since I've heard that name. Me and her used to be friends, you know. Though after high school, she went to speakeasies and I to college. We wrote to each other, called when convenient. I've read that she committed suicide. Is that true? Sadly, yes. Though I don't quite know why. We were close in high school, but afterwards she kept very much to herself. Though I knew something was up. She didn't have that smile to her voice anymore. And she lamented. Oh, did she lament. Mostly about old times and old memories. What do you think caused her so much pain? That I cannot answer. But do you mind if I ask a question? Not at all. Good. My question is, why do you want to talk about Melanie? There is no way you're related. She died a young spinster. Most people would lie, but Victor told her the truth. I remember her being humbled and glad I had wanted to rediscover my past, which was not the best thing she gave me. It was the knowledge that she was my friend, and that made me shine with joy. For the next month, I spent most of my time in the hospital, and Victor would come visit on the weekends. Those months were full of many stories, card games between Georgia and Victor, and many laughs, though this bliss was only temporary. When Georgia May died, she manifested as a spirit, and like most new souls, she stood over her body, dumbfounded. 
She then looked over towards me and smiled, as if I did remember her. I ran to give her a hug, and we cried together. Yet, like most other souls, she went on her way to the light. I would have followed if it was not for the fact that Victor and I found our purpose, to help the living and dead. After we grieved for the loss of my friend, we opened our business in Chicago and took cases all over Illinois when possible. Victor even made what he was called a business move and became a priest to appear more reputable. Though the darker parts of the dead could not stay away for long, he soon began to grow curious about ruins and began to experiment with seances and Ouija wards. When he was 20, he made his first deal in the rune trade. This was to gain another assistant. His name was Bob Gifford. He experimented with the rune he received and discovered they could heal the living. Soon, he was collecting dues, runes, and more importantly, money for his services. His business was booming, and he knew it, though nothing could prepare him for his next client's request. She was tall and wore a purple dress under a leather jacket and looked born to sing. Her name was Stella Smith, and she wanted vengeance. I liked her very much. She reminded me of myself in some ways, and she seemed to like me, too. I think to this day I was the only reason she figured Victor would do her any good. She even gave up three of her ruins for him to do this service of vengeance. Though when it came the time to iron out the details, we had uncovered a moral dilemma. So, Miss Smith, now that I have your runes, how may I best serve you? I know the men who killed me, and they need to suffer as I have suffered. Most of them are, ironically, very successful, and they don't deserve it. So you want me to kill them? No. That would go against everything. I want them to feel the pain I did and live with it. Because honestly, no one is ever going to arrest them for my death. So you want me to assault them as a form of justice? You did similar before, if I recall. That was a mere punch to someone's face. This sounds much bigger. You'd be right. And you do have my runes. So will you do this? We found the first guy. His name was William Sachs. He was an assistant manager at a five-star restaurant. We cornered him on his walk home and stalked him as they stalked Stella. Compared to the other two, he was easy. Victor only went as far as he was comfortable. Are you ready now to repent for your sins? I didn't mean to kill her. I only meant to rough her up. Please, please don't kill me. Melvin deserves worse than I. It was his idea. My intention was never to kill you. Only this. Always remember what you did that night to that poor girl. Dream about the horrors you caused her and her family. Because you are nothing but the scum you are laying against. I can genuinely say Will was scarred for life. Especially since a week later he admitted to some petty crimes he had committed in his business practices to the police. Maybe it was his way of repenting, but we'll never know for sure. Even if Will was easy, the same could not be said for Frederick Strauss, a banker. He was very much a masochist. Victor, no matter what he did, Fred just laughed. What finally got him was slicing the tip of his ear off. Soon after, he ran like a coward. A week later, the local papers announced his suicide though nothing could prepare us for what was to come. The common tale we heard from the two men was that Melvin Fox was the one who taught to stalk and later kill Stella Smith. 
Stella especially wanted him to suffer, but in a different way than the previous two. So Victor thought about playing a mental game. It started off with kidnapping Melvin after he got off to work at his law firm. We then set up a space in a condemned building outside of town. Victor also filled one of his gas cans with water as a prop in this mind game. All was in place and perfect. However, before we left, I remember seeing death. It should have occurred to me then why he was there, but I guess it was just an unremembered fact, in the same way that Victor failed to remember what gas can was filled with water. Hello, Melvin. Where am I and who are you? Who I am does not matter, nor does the location. What matters is why I kidnapped you in the first place. So you admit to your crime? <laughs> if you were some other schmuck, I would represent you for a nice price. Thank you for the thought. But you will pay the price for your crime. What crime? Don't lie. Everyone has sins. So confess. What is the meaning of all of this? How sad. You don't remember. Then remind me. Well, it looks like I have to. Do you remember a young girl? She would have been my age, tall, beautiful. You probably would have met her in 1983. That jog your memory yet? <laughs> you mean that whore? She deserved to die. I was no whore. I was a singer. It was my understanding that she was a singer. Pretty sure she could sing. And according to your cohorts, they only wanted to rough her up a bit. But you wanted to see her dead. One less whore in my book. Then you wouldn't mind if I rid the world of one less murderer. You wouldn't. You're a priest. And you're a killer. You know what you're doing is illegal. I could have you for assault. That's if you'll be able to talk after this. What are you doing? What I said I would. Give the world one less murderer. What better way than Hellfire? Is it killing against the Ten Commandments? Then we're both sinners here. Do your worst. Melvin was smart and saw through the ruse, but when Victor was going to perform the grand finale, a terrible accident happened. The embers of a cigarette fell into the puddle of gasoline and Melvin Fox caught fire. Victor, out of fear, ran out of the building. However, Stella and I stayed behind. Melvin did not pass on and instead came back seeking vengeance on Victor. So not only did Victor have to run away from the fire, but from his home. Where are we going? I don't know, Minnie. You wouldn't be moving if you followed directions. You were not supposed to kill him. I grabbed the wrong can. I was only supposed to scare him, but I didn't mean to catch him on fire. You still killed a man. Oh, you don't have any room to speak. It's your fault that I got into this mess. Don't pin this on me. I specifically told you not to kill them. Well, it was an accident. Stop it. Minnie? I just want us to get along. More than ever, we need each other's support. But a man is dead. You said it was an accident. You never intended for him to die? Yeah, but I still feel awful about it. As you should. Stella, you have full right to be angry, though you should have known that your request would lead to this. My request? All I asked was for them to suffer as I did, not die. Well, it was his time to go. You can't deny that. We did see death, didn't we? We did, so we couldn't prevent it. What we can do is go somewhere safe. Where can we go that's safe? I always wanted to go to Gettysburg. Gettysburg it is. 
though we did not reach our intended destination immediately. We moved place to place. Some days were good, others were bad, but Melvin was never far behind. We arrived in Gettysburg a year later, and as luck would have it, Melvin had not been on our tail for some time. We finally felt safe. We even gained a new assistant named Dan Banks, partnerships with the police and even a good stimulus of customers seeking the occult. Though we also picked up more adversaries, mostly from the rune trade part of our business, one being a very quiet Confederate ghost who haunted the woods, another being a very eccentric old woman and her lady ghost friend. Until the day Melvin found us. When that day came, it was awful. We not only had to fight off Melvin, we had to fight him as he transcended. There was so much paranormal energy. It shook the earth. In the chaos of the fight, something happened to me. For a time, I was in a place I did not know, and having experiences that were no longer mine. When I awoke, I no longer wanted to call myself Minerva, and Melvin was gone. In his place stood a light one. It spoke of many things to me and urged me to accept a gift. Just as I accepted this gift, an urge to kill Victor consumed me like the flames that consumed Melvin. On this day, I became the Valkyrie Mel. With my newfound power, I tried to strike down Victor, but hit Dan instead. Something I never expected to happen occurred. He turned to dust. This distraction lost me my chance to kill Victor swiftly. Yet nothing said I could not follow him for another try. So here I am again, in front of Victor, ready to kill him. And an old adversary has stopped me. But I can get over that, because I know when this is all finished, I will be ready to reach the light and die in peace. Thank you for sharing this experience. As always, I leave you off to have a good life. Until next time, goodbye. The White Noise Podcast is a Badminton Studios production. This episode starred the talents of the following. Lucia Banas as Mel, Stuart Moyer as Victor Green, Nicole Sikafus as Stella Smith, Brady Wesp as Melvin Fox, Jan Brunel as Victor's mother, Ross Nesbitt as Victor's father, Andre Herrara as Reverend Kip, Anaho Skylark as Georgia Mae Rice, Drew Patrick as William Sachs, Lucian Brunel, Emery Brunel, Suzanne Graffius, and J.M. Sutton as Victor's Bullies. And yours truly, Angela Cook, as your narrator. White Noise is written and produced by J.M. Sutton, directed and edited by Ben Jackson, and our musical director is Michael Doden. If you enjoy the program, be sure to review us on iTunes, visit our website, and support us on Patreon. Plus, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, or contact us at badmintonstudios at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.